All right, everybody. Here we are. Here we are. In the congregation at prayer this third week in Advent, the psalm is number 85. We'll pray that responsively by half verse out of the hymnal. The verse is Isaiah 40, verse 11. It came from this last Sunday's Old Testament reading. So we will use that as an antiphon. This is the shortest that Advent can be. Because the fourth Sunday in Advent is December 24th. So we have our regular services in the morning on December 24th for the fourth Sunday in Advent. And that will be the gospel for that day is the visitation. Mary, newly pregnant with Jesus, visits her cousin Elizabeth. So that will be the focus of the sermon in the morning. And then at 4 o'clock and 8 o'clock, the traditional Christmas Eve service, Luke chapter 2, the nativity of our Lord and the visit of the shepherds and so forth. So... And then Christmas Day is at 9.30. The hymn for this week, a John the Baptist hymn, 346, When All the World Was Cursed. It's the same tune as uh, What is the World to Me with All Its Vaunted Pleasure. And Now Are the Days Fulfilled. All right. <clears throat> The Spirit and the Church cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. All those who await his appearance pray, Come, Lord Jesus. The whole creation pleads, Come, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and gently lead those who are with young. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You recovered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. And put away your indignation for us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? That your people may Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. And grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in your land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. And righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And our land will yield its increase. 
Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and gently lead those who are with young. O Lord Jesus Christ, at your coming in the flesh, you sent your messenger to prepare your way before you. Grant that the ministers and stewards of your mysteries may likewise so prepare and make ready your way by turning the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, that at your second coming to judge the world, we may be found acceptable in your sight. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And thinking about Joseph and Mary, we meditate on the words from the table of duties to husbands and to wives. What does God's word say to husbands? Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What does God's word say to wives? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you to hear our prayers and to lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Almighty and ever-living God, you strengthened your apostle Thomas with firm and certain faith in the resurrection of your Son. Grant us such faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, that we may never be found wanting in your sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we commend Mark, George, Anna, Patty, John, Luke, Jean, Gabby, Michael, into your care and keeping as they suffer afflictions of the body and recover from illness and surgery or in treatment for cancer. Bring healing according to your will. We commend to you Sue and Karen in hospice care. Guard and keep them from the assaults of the evil one and grant them a peaceful departure from this life. And we give thanks to you for the long and prosperous life you gave to our brother Lyle. Comfort his family who mourn his death with the promise of the resurrection to eternal life for all those who have died in the faith. And we cry out to you on behalf of the pastor's family in Wapaka, whose four children were tragically killed by a drunk driver. Comfort them, uphold them. Do not allow them to fall into despair because of grief at such a tragic loss. Help them to know that your son bore all such tragedy, sorrow, and grief to the altar of the cross to redeem us to an eternal life where there will be no more sorrow, suffering, or pain. Comfort them with this message and grant them your hope and peace. Prepare us to receive and to celebrate the joys of Christmas. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Hymn 346. <laughs> o 
When all the world was cursed by Moses' condemnation, Saint John the Baptist came with words of consolation, with true forerunner zeal, the greater one he named, and him as yet unknown, as Savior he proclaimed. Before he yet was born, he leaped in joyful meeting, confessing him as Lord, whose mother he was greeting by Jordan's rolling stream, a new Elijah bold, he testified of him, of whom the prophets told. Behold the Lamb of God, that bears the world's transgression, whose sacrifice removes the devil's dread oppression. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away our sin, who for our peace and joy will full atonement win. O grant, dear Lord of love, that we receive rejoicing the word proclaimed by John, our true repentance voicing, that gladly we may walk upon our Savior's way until we live with him in his eternal day. That's really a good hymn as it um, outlines very well the ministry of John the Baptist. Yes? Uh, from the law. So when all the world was cursed by, you know, the condemnation of the law given by Moses. Yeah. All righty. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. The epiphany of our Lord is going to be celebrated this year on the actual day, which is Saturday, January 6th in a service here at 5 o'clock. Uh, we're hoping to maybe have a, a light soup supper afterwards. That's still pending. If any of you are interested, you can talk to me after class. But Sergio Trifa, who is from Romania, and Beth and I met him as a young man with his family, his pastor father, and mother and other siblings from Romania. They were in Vilnius, Lithuania when we did the Eurasia uh, family, missionary family retreat there back in 2018. Uh, and he's now studying at the seminary. Uh, he's going to um, participate with me in the sermon for that. He's not going to give the sermon, but he'll be a part of the sermon. So you can... How is that going to work? Well, come and see. Come and see. You know, we, we try to find various, various gimmicks to bring you to church. So. Uh, and then, so, um, th the hope is that then he, he and I will uh, talk about mission work and Romanian stuff afterwards if we can have our little soup supper and should be a nice, casual uh, thing. So, service is at 5 o'clock, and then hope to have that afterwards. January 6th, Saturday, January 6th. Mark it down. Be there. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. If I remember right, Jim Weber and I did spaghetti many, many years ago Man, that's that's ancient history. Okay. Uh, we are at the feeding of the 5,000. We have just beheaded John the Baptist. So that was last week. Should have had the, uh, this hymn for last week, huh? So there are no days after the fourth Sunday in Advent this year, as there usually uh, are. The feeding of the 5,000, this chapter has that. It has Jesus walking on the water, and then it concludes with many touching him who are made whole. Notice John's now use of the term apostles, or Mark's use of the term apostles at the beginning of this section in, in verse 30. Apostles are the, is the title given to those men who were specifically chosen by Jesus to be eyewitnesses of his death and resurrection. It includes being eyewitnesses of his ministry. The, uh, the verb apostello means to be sent out on behalf of another with the full authority of the sender. So the 12 disciples were chosen. A disciple is just the word for follower. We are disciples of Jesus. But those 12 disciples were chosen to be apostles, to be the official eyewitness spokesman for Jesus, sent out on his behalf with his authority. So we talk about the church again, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, it means the scriptures of the Old Testament for the prophets and the New Testament by the apostles. So Mark begins this section, then the apostles gathered to Jesus. So I, I draw that to your attention because they are eyewitnesses of this event for the sake of the future ministry of the church. The apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now that corresponds with what we received earlier in chapter 6, the sending out of the twelve. So in verse 7, it had said, he called the twelve to him. Then here, the apostles gathered to him. Okay. So they have a unique calling. Ordination, holy orders given them. We saw that earlier on in chapter 6. So, what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Isn't that fascinating? Why that level of detail? Why is that necessary? What does it teach? Setting aside time for yourself. Right? Setting aside time. Rest is necessary. For whom? <laughs> For preachers, Jesus and Jesus. Yeah, so, so, all right. He is the one who said, come aside. They've just been on this missionary tour. They've done a lot. They've preached a lot. They've witnessed a lot. Because of their preaching and teaching, notice what it says. There were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Okay? I can relate. <laughs> so it tells us something about the ministry here. I mean, we all need time for refreshment. But this is specifically directed at the apostolic ministers. And their 
extension today, the office of the holy ministry. So Jesus is actually mandating, isn't it, such rest. Come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. It's not an optional thing, but it's an essential thing. It's essential for all of us to find our rest in the Lord and in his word, and it is essential for the ministry as well. This rest should take us all the way back to the pattern of life in creation. In six days he created, on the seventh day he rested. He does that to teach us our need to find our rest in him. Okay? And in this case, for the refurbishing of the apostles in their work. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. So, December 26th, it won't be quite deserted, but going to St. Louis. To eat? Yes, yes, to eat, that's true. Smoked turkey. What else are, is Paul making down there? Iranian food? He makes every conceivable ethnic food, so. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them, and came together to him. So why would they do that? The word that they preach. Now remember back in the earlier part of the um, chapter, the sending out, verse 7, he called the twelve, they began to send them out two by two. He gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey. Verse 10, he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And uh, whoever will not receive you, you know, woe to them. It's more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. And then verse 12, so they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So the healing medicine of the gospel is what these people experienced, and that's why they thronged around the apostles and around Jesus, and they wanted more. Okay? Maybe if we actually preach the gospel in the churches today, instead of diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, woke ideology, and other nonsense, maybe the churches would not be as empty as they are. Maybe people would actually throng to hear what they can't hear anywhere else. When the church starts to preach like CNN, and that, uh, yeah, the, remember CNN is not the Christian News Network. <laughs> It is not. But you ought to sit up and take notice and be wary of that. The apostles had something to say. And they preached the doctrine that rescues from sin, death, and the power of the devil. All right, so the multitudes are thronging, and they arrive before Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Now, by omission, I want you to see what he did not say by what I revise this to. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and said, Get out of here and leave us alone. We need a vacation. So on the one hand, there was need for rest. On the other hand, the love of Christ compelled them to continue to give. 
So I find that insightful as well. So he began to teach them many things. I've been emphasizing to you in the Gospel of Mark that while there are miraculous deliverances from the demonic and from uh, physical infirmity in the form of miracles, the woman with the flow of blood, the raising of the little girl of the ruler of the synagogue of the Jews, nevertheless it rests upon the teaching of the gospel. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. A yeah, deserted place, except there are all these multitudes, thousands. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, The peace fish fry is not for several weeks yet. <laughs> They said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? Now a denarius is about a day's wage, so you can say how much that is. And give them something to eat? Now their question is a, from their point of view, a facetious question. He said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five, as in loaves, and two fish. That's enough. Doesn't say that's enough, but for him that's enough. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. What hymn, hymn do we sing? The green, green grass of home. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. Now what's interesting about here before we go any further is the picture that is painted and the connection to the Old Testament. First, let's take up green grass. What did he call them earlier in verse 34? Sheep in need of a shepherd. He leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul. Okay. The green grass signifies and paints the picture of sheep who are led by the shepherd to the green pastures. Now, this literally happened, but you can see the symbolic nature of this. The green grass signifies you know, the word of life that they need from Jesus to eat, which means then that also the five loaves and the two fish have a similar connection to the Old Testament. Moses, after he left Egypt, he went to the land of Midian and he married Jethro's uh, eldest daughter, Zipporah. And what was his occupation for 40 years from the time he was 40 to 80? Shepherd. A shepherd. Okay. Uh, and it was really tough in the land of Midian to find any green grass. I mean, this is remote uh, area. But Jesus is the prophet greater than Moses. The, the, the sparseness of the availability of the green grass for Moses the shepherd, for the flocks that he tended, is contrasted dramatically then with the lushness of the green grass that Jesus uh, provided Again, metaphorically, the green grass of his word and sacrament. But it is interesting to note, now we were supposed to go to Israel this coming summer, but I don't think that's going to pan out. Um, the, the, the Jordan Valley, there are areas there that are, as I understand it, extremely lush. I don't know that from firsthand experience, but from family, that's what I'm told. So there is green grass in this area. It's an area that looks very different than Moses. And of course, the ministry of Jesus is very different from that of Moses. But then here's another connection to the Old Testament in terms of pictures. In groups of 50 and in groups of 100. 
the children of Israel would, were divided up like that. In fact, Jethro told Moses, it's too much for you to handle the whole congregation. You know, appoint elders and heads of clans and so forth down all the way to groups of 10 even. But 100s, 50s, and 10s dividing up the congregation. That was what happened in the Old Testament church of Israel at the time of Moses the shepherd caring for the children of Israel. And you can see earlier on, we're getting the report from the apostles, that's why they're chosen, right? Uh, so each one of those apostles represents the good shepherd, Jesus. They're all under shepherds of the good shepherd. And the ministry was not confined then, was it, to just the 12 apostles? It's expanded after that. You think about the seven in the book of Acts, chapter 6, and then today the apostolic ministry in the office of pastors. Okay, then there's another connection to the Old Testament here. Five loaves and two fish. In the Old Testament, the number five what is, the, what is that? Torah. It's the five books of Moses, the Torah. Okay? Now, there really were five loaves, but it's, it wasn't five fish, it was five loaves. It was two fish, but it was five loaves. The Torah in the Old Testament was looked upon as the bread of life. Now, think about this. In the Old Testament, the Torah was the bread of life. You even have, we've looked at references in the past about the prophets eating the scroll, you know, <laughs> that was sweet to eat, but it became, gave them a bellyache unless they preached it. Great image, because you're, they were, to, they were to take it in in study so that they might give it away and preach it. So the Torah was the bread of life. It's in the Torah, it says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus says that to the evil one, the Satan, in the wilderness when he's tempted. So, the Torah was thought of as the bread that gives life. What does Jesus then say in, now this is Mark 6, the feeding of the 5,000. Explicitly in John 6, the feeding of the 5,000, Coincidentally, the same chapter, Jesus says, after the feeding of the 5,000, I am the bread of life. So, what does this mean? The five books of Moses, the Torah, which was the Old Testament bread of life, is fulfilled in the person of Jesus, who is the bread of life. That's the point of the miracle. Not believe in Jesus and you never have to go to pick and save. And your refrigerator will always be full. You know, there'll be a, a, a chicken in every pot provided by this political leader, Jesus of Nazareth, building a new kingdom on earth. No, that's not the point. The point is he is the source of life. He is the bread of life. And he's the fulfillment of, those, of the Torah, the five books of Moses. And then you have two fish. Two in the... Old Testament has a number of different connections. There is the two tables of the law. Law gospel, that's a, a Lutheran paradigm, not without great value. And it's actually set a different way in the Old Testament. The law and the testimony the law and the testimony, okay? So in the Old Testament, you have command and promise. You have curse and blessing. We call it, as Chuck just identified, law and gospel, okay? So in the Old Testament Torah, again, is it just laws like thou shalt not? No. No, it's also I will put enmity between you and the woman. The seed of the woman will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. 
In the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay, so you have both command and promise. Okay, the law and the testimony. And fish are identified here. Uh, since the New Testament time, fish were a euphemism for Jesus himself. If you take the Greek word for fish, ichthys, and take each of the letters of the Greek word fish, ichthys, then you can spell out from the first letter, Jesus, second letter, Christ, next letter, Son of God, and then Savior. So in the ancients, like in the catacombs, you have that fish man, I should have a marker board here, like this, and like this, the two, you know, partial circles that Chris, and the fish, that was the ichthys. In fact, if you're a Christian, and I don't know it, I might draw the one line, and then you could draw the other. Okay? So both the bread and the fish, we should think of as representing Christ. The fulfillment of the law, and of the law and the testimony of the Old Testament. Okay? So, he commanded them to sit down and to make them all sit down on the, on, in groups on the green grass. Verse 41, when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. Now the language of verse 41 hints at in the phraseology, what language that the church becomes very familiar with right after Jesus' resurrection and Pentecost. The breaking of the bread took them, blessed them, gave thanks, and distributed. It's the, the, the basic actions of the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. Eucharist means thanksgiving. Now, this is not the Lord's Supper here, but it is an image and picture of the Lord's Supper where Christ feeds us with his body and gives us to drink of his blood. Okay? So you have the same kinds of actions. The message is basically and fundamentally Jesus is the bread of life. He's the source of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Okay? He is the good shepherd, the prophet greater than Moses, the shepherd greater than Moses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul. So you can plug Psalm 23 in here too to understand that's the illustration that is being given. Okay? All right. And uh, we know from John's Gospel that they followed him around wanting to make a bread king out of him because they saw in the miracle not, I am the bread of life, but they saw in the miracle, hey, this is a great deal. Let's make this guy a political king. Which um, further underscores that apart from faithful teaching and catechesis, you can't rightly understand the miracles. Okay, so they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. So what's the significance there? Well, the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, yes, and the 12 apostles. So there's enough left over for each of the apostles to use, to distribute. They have uh, more than enough. And those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000. Five times 10 times 10 times 10. So 10 is the number of divine providence in the Bible, and five again goes back to this is a largely 
Israelite crowd in this deserted area. So he is the shepherd of Israel. He is the prophet of Israel greater than Israel who feeds them with himself the bread of life. So the numbers, the detail of numbers here is not without great catechetical and prophetic significance if you know the Old Testament, then you can see these connections. If you don't, then they have to be pointed out. Okay. Now we'll pause here at the end of verse 44 and see if you have any thoughts or questions that you'd like to, to ask. No? Kathy? Yes? Everything all folds in together. Yes. I mean, how? Well, this is part of a testimony, Kathy, to the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures by the Holy Spirit. So you've got Moses writing in the Old Testament the books of the Torah. You know, you've got prophets like Samuel after that, Joshua and then Samuel. Um, you, you've got King David, who writes the Psalms and gave us Psalm 23. But this is all in the old depths. But it all, so apart from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there would be no connections. Every book would be in isolation and it would be just a, a third grade history of what you did in the summertime. Right. Instead, it is not only a history, but it's a theology each book of the Bible, and it's part of a tapestry, a whole, okay? And that's why um, what I try to do with you is let you see the whole. The thing that I hate, well, it's not the thing. <laughs> One of another. I hate many things, One. no. One of but in, in, in modern biblical scholarship, for which I am a huge skeptic, is they insist upon only dealing in isolation with one book to the exclusion of allowing any other book of the scriptures to have any bearing on that one book. And then when they do that, they also immediately call into question the human authorship of the book. Okay, so Mark didn't write this. This came from Q. Sounds like something out of Star Trek, Next Generation, you know? How do you know that? There's no evidence for this Q, but that's how we know it. It just nauseates me, okay? Um, Luther's mode of exegesis was a rich acquaintance with the totality of the scriptures. So if Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures, and if they testify to him, then that's true of every book of the Bible, and that's, they're integrated. So Jesus said in John 5, uh, 39, to the Jews who didn't believe in him, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. Now, we may not always know, how does this testify of Jesus? Well, that's because we're stupid. But give it time, and the Holy Spirit may reveal that to you when you study more of the scriptures and see the connections. Um, and it's, yeah, I've said these things before. Dr. David Scare was so good at understanding how human beings are and understanding the personalities of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul and their interactions. They weren't, they didn't live in silos. There was interaction. Deacon and then Chuck. Yep, the Bereans searched the Old Testament scriptures because Paul was preaching Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ from the Old Testament scriptures. Okay, Chuck. You know, as Kathy felt like all this stuff, all kinds of just fits together. To me, it's always a strengthening factor for my faith because there was many people who said Christianity was just 
these 12 guys dreaming up and making up all these stories about how this was going to go. When you think, sat back and look at that, my, they thought of all this? They were the 12 greatest screenwriters we've ever seen <laughs> yeah. in the world. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the idea that they all colluded together is nonsensical. Yeah. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just said, holy men of God moved. Don't forget who they were moved by. That is correct. All right, so, I mean, then that's what makes the uh, scriptures one of many things that makes it fun. All right, verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, which was kind of a home base on the north side of the Sea of Galilee up here. Uh, and while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. So there is, finally, we're getting at what was talked about earlier on in verse 31. He departs to the mountain to pray. Two things there, practically and symbolically. Practically, if Jesus needed to pray and be in communion with his heavenly Father, how much more do we and how much more the apostles? Secondly, symbolically, that's what Moses did. Every time Moses was in communion with God, where did he go? Up on the mountain to Mount Sinai. Okay? And then he came down, he had to have the veil over his face because he was reflecting the glory of God, which was frightening to the children of Israel. Okay? So Jesus continues to, by what he does, by his actions, also look like the prophet who is greater than Moses. All right. Um, so remember, he, he sent, he made his disciples get into the boat before him to go to the other side. And then he went away. So he's not with them in the boat. He departs to the mountain to pray. So there, it's nighttime. They are alone on the boat, in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that is between three and six o'clock in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. <laughs> I think it's funny. Don't you think it's funny? <laughs> But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said to them, Now the English says, be of good cheer, or take courage, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. But the operative words here in the Greek, for it is I, are ego eimi, which is literally translated, I am. And that's the significance. So it is not captured, it's not captured in any English translation that I'm aware of. Um, but that's what it means. Be of good cheer, I am. Okay, so on uh, Christmas Day, we will sing, O Jesus Christ, thy manger is in the line, he whom the sea and wind obey doth come to serve the sinner in great meekness. It not only shows him to be creator, but there's theological significance. Polly, are you ready for this? He is walking on the water. This is not a circus trick. 
but there's theological significance. The water, remember, it's a tumultuous Sea of Galilee. All of that tumult <coughs> is under his feet. Okay? He is the seed of the woman who crushes the devil's power, right? Raging seas, we've been over this before, are always used in the Bible as symbols of divine judgment. That judgment, the condemnation of the law, is under his feet. Sin, death, condemnation, the judgment of the law is under his feet. What does it say in Psalm 110? David visualizes and hears this conversa conversation between the Father and the Son. The Lord, God the Father, said to my Lord, God the Son, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The enemies of sin, death, Satan, hell are under his feet. So that's the significance of Jesus walking on the water. Okay? And tumultuous seas, whether it's the flood, the crossing of the Red Sea, and the raging Red Sea comes back upon Pharaoh's armies. Jonah thrown into the raging sea, then there's a great calm. When Jesus speaks, peace be still, that is an absolution okay, that delivers us from Satan and sin and death and gives us peace. Okay? So there's significance in the meaning of the, of the miracle. It's not just, you know, as we've said before, what does this miracle teach? Jesus is God. Well, that's true, but there's a little bit more substance to it than simply that. You know, what does he teach in the feeding of the 5,000? He's God. What does he teach in raising the dead? He's God. What is it? Okay, there's more to it than that. Okay, sin, death, and hell is placed under his feet. Chuck. I see this as part of the disciples' catechesis. Absolutely. I, I mean, he's, he's set this as a, this whole thing up. Yeah. I mean, the disciples, okay, you're going out. You're out in the boat. Okay, that's what's going to happen to you. And then in, in diversity is going to be so strong, and you're rowing like crazy. You're preaching like crazy, and you're, it seems like you're going nowhere. And what should you do at that moment? You should turn to me. Well, and without yeah. the whole storm. Without him, there's nothing. They can't do nothing. Right. Yeah. And the ship has been since the time. Of the Old Testament, really. I mean, Noah and his family, eight souls and all, were saved through water on the ark. Now, this is, looks, this is puny compared to the uh, Old Testament ark of Moses, or of Noah, but it is still a picture of the church, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, powerless, impotent to row against the tide of sin, death, satanic opposition, you know, the wind is blowing against them. Um, so apart from him, they can do nothing. So it absolutely is a catechesis and a premeditation on Jesus' part to teach and to illustrate that. Okay. Um, then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. So they did not interpret. So if you, if you sit here, you know, in Bible class and you think, well, five loaves, two fishes, the Torah, the law and the testimony, I, I never would have gotten that out. Don't, don't be hard on yourself. <laughs> Neither did the disciples. They didn't understand it. They did not understand from the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus was proclaiming himself as the bread of life, the source of salvation. How they could miss that, I don't know, but we would have missed it as well. They didn't understand and that, wow, he walked on the, wow, what does this mean? Ego in me, I am who I am. I am the eternal God of the promise of salvation. 
So it, they, they, they have to be, do you understand now, at least in part, why Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this? Because until they're fully catechized, they're going to muck it up. Okay, they're not ready. Polly, you've got that look, you know? Well, they had, their heart was hardened. It is hardened naturally. It's, there's also a certain sense, now this might sound counterintuitive, where Jesus is teaching on the one hand, yet not allowing the full understanding until the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the apostles for the express purpose of correct understanding. In fact, in the Gospels, those who understand most are whom? What? No, no, not the Pharisees. No, those who understand most. They, the ones who are the lowest standing. The Mary Magdalene's of this world. Yep, the ones who received his grace the lowest of the low, the outcast, the woman with the flow of blood, the, the Canaanite, the Syrophoenician woman, yep. Those who are, you know, the disciples, send her away, she cries out after us. They're the ones that understand most who Jesus is and the nature of the gospel. Okay? And I think... These guys still were so much in the dark, and they stayed that way until after the crucifixion, yep. when he met with them up in the upper room, and it says he catechized them. I, I know who right. would have liked to have been with the disciples on the way to Emmaus. I would have liked to have been there for that catechesis with Jesus at that point, because I think that's where they really, really well, got to it. Certainly the 12, that is, uh, that is true. Okay. And what he says there in the upper room is he shows them his hands and his side and he says these his physically crucified and resurrected body these are the things that were written that you may believe in the law and the prophets these are the things that's Luke 24 these are the things yeah my crucified and resurrected body are the things that were written do you see the, so the, the incarnate, crucified, and resurrected Jesus, which is the totality of his saving work, these are what was written by the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And as Chuck just identified, he opened up the scriptures to them that they might understand. Okay. Uh, and the scriptures that he opens up, there's no New Testament then. It hasn't been written yet. It's the Old Testament. And if you want to know what the things were that he taught them, that's why we study from the Old Testament. That's why we study the New Testament. We can see from the New Testament apostolic witness what he taught them from the Old. Susan. So, and he is here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Their heart was hardened in unbelief at the time of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. That's what it says. They had not understood about the loaves. And they don't understand now about this. Melinda. It is for our catechesis, he doesn't, um, that they're, they're, they're not instantaneously understanding everything. Because we can identify with them, and we can see ourselves in them, and that's, that's a hugely important, that's very significant. That's why I say that often in Bible class, so don't be too hard on yourself. The disciples who were with Jesus didn't get it. All right. So, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Now, the word well here, guess what it actually is? Saved. saved. Do you have it saved in? No. Okay. How did you know that? So you have the Spanish translation oh, there in front of you? Probably just because sometimes it's, um, it's translated as to be made healthy or to be saved. Kind of yeah. So translated here as well, but I prefer saved. saved. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, and in, the, and in the previous chapter the flow of blood, the woman with the flow of blood, if only we may touch his garment, I shall be made well. So we do have a lot of examples in the gospel themselves about earthly elements being instruments of the Holy Spirit to communicate Christ's saving grace. Just like bread, wine, water, well, garments, the touch, and so forth. Okay. Now, we don't... Yes, Polly? The well means, the word is saved in Greek. Always. Not always, oh, I, but... I, what I'm questioning is the story it, it, of the woman, the woman with the flow of blood. And she says, I shall be made well. Is she, um, she, uh, uh, that is where she'll be cured of her disease. Okay. Yes. his disciples get into the boat and immediately they cross over to the other side and immediately they're there okay so what does that all mean the significant why 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 highlight yes. this immediacy yeah. yeah it is like what we have um in the Confession of Faith by, by uh, Zechariah in the Benedictus, where he says, Jesus is three months gestation. John the Baptist has been born. He's eight days old and being named. Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people, as if it has already it's happened. It's a done deal. So the immediacy here, Whoever has the word has all things, has Christ, has the entire enchilada. So on the one hand, it's a, there's a, a very now sense. We live in a now, but not yet, right? You know, we have salvation now. The promise and guarantee of the resurrection now, immediately. Yet we wait. So I think these immediate language here is 
emphasizing how the Word of God delivers to us in the here and now Christ's saving grace. Okay? It's not like, I hope I will be saved. I am being saved now, immediately. Wherever the Word is preached and the sacraments are administered, there He is in the midst, restoring, healing, immediately. If I say, Connie, your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now. It's not some future thing. All right, so we do not meet next week. Where is Gennesaret? Um, it, it's right next, it, it's slightly over from Beth, Bethsaida. And just, uh, yeah, it's no, northwest, northwest, northwest corner. It's in Galilee. Okay. Yes, Kathy? Father, I'm curious. When and how did the apostles finally get it? <laughs> Jesus was saying. Um, uh, two locations it, where they get it. In the upper room on Easter night, when he appears and says, Peace be with you, receive the Holy Spirit, there is an epiphany. Okay, of understanding. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them so that they would be faithful witnesses as apostles. And that's when they were capable? Yeah, yeah. That's the, the upper room on Easter night is, you could call that their ordination, because he gives them his commands, which he reiterates at his ascension 40 days later, and then 10 days after that on Pentecost, they're able to preach. They're to wait for the Holy Spirit. Because wherever the Spirit is, there Christ is. So they're to wait for him so that they can be faithful. Okay. Anyway, we're not meeting next uh, Thursday. Lyle Wollen's funeral is next Friday. 9.30 visitation until the time of, here at Peace until the time of service at 11. And then there's no procession to the cemetery. Everyone meets there at 12.30 for the committal service. And then they're having lunch to which everyone would be invited at the family center at Wisconsin Memorial Park. Okay. So our next uh, coffee break Bible study then would be the 4th of January. Okay. Any other announcements? If anybody's interested in... Uh, participating with or helping with a light soup supper on Saturday, January 6th, after that 5 o'clock service. Talk to us, me or Sherry. Peace be with you.